What do you think is more important? Don't think about it. Sensitivity to aesthetics or compassion? I think... Hey! It's a trick question. Yeah, I think they're the same thing. The same thing, same sides of a different coin. To become truly immortal, a work of art must escape all human limits. Logic and common sense will only interfere. But once these barriers are broken, it will enter the regions of childhood, vision, and dream. Profound statements must be drawn by the artist from the most secret recesses of his being. There, no murmuring torrent, no birdsong, no rustle of leaves can distract him. Welcome to Magic Camp. It's your camp counselors. Uh, I'm Ben. And I'm Paul. And today we're... uh, We'll be dwelling upon the ideas and works of the surrealists, as uh, maybe you guessed from that quote. Paul, did you guess? Oh, yeah, definitely. I also thought maybe it was from a particularly frightening episode of Winnie the Pooh, Um, but (laughs) I I, I doubt that. How about Um, the eye exists in its primitive state? Winnie the Pooh said that. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, Also, he was quoting Salvador Dali, right? Uh, it was Andre Brenton, but yeah, close. Mm, okay. Well, cool. Um, yeah, that's uh, this is going to be new for me because I'm I'm you know not I don't not know the do not know the surrealist very well at all. So you're going to be taking me on a journey into uh, into a dark place. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I'll get your your first impressions in a minute before we do a little detour. So first of all, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. I. Found out, not that this matters to any uh, of the campers who, who don't know where we live or what physical spaces we occupy, but I'm moving to Denver, I just found out, and I will we'll be able to have Magic Camp our IRL. We're going to start um, you know, an Eventbrite page pretty soon, as soon as people can uh, attend things in person. Mm-hmm. First live uh, Magic Camp. Um, we're going to do all sorts of of crazy stuff inspired by some of our favorite Instagram artists. Actually, a few of them will be there in attendance. <laughs> um, and I'm going to try my hand at, at doing some blue man group type stuff. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> yeah. So we start with the, the meetups and then after that, what's left really? I mean, we need, uh, like 80 K to buy a plot of land and then, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. From there, then, you know, just set up like, we'll, get in some shipping containers, convert them into bedrooms, and then the campers can start coming and we'll put them to work. We get going in the indoctrination and yeah, it's all happening. So thanks everybody for making this real. Right. Um, well, yeah, it's exciting times. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much, uh, that's my update here. Um, Seattle is still a ghost town. Um, which again, maybe a good backdrop for for surrealism today. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is. They are surreal times. Ah, I see. Uh, what about you? How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, we're actually getting ready to do a road trip. We're right. We are driving to Louisiana, which, as far as we know, is fine. Um, to, you know, technically speaking. Um, and yeah, I'm feeling totally good about it. It's going to be a huge relief for my wife and we'll have a good time. And, uh, it's going to be hot. I'll do the things that I do there, like go to the park and, uh, go drive to a donut shop and eat whatever food I can. Um, so so yeah. That's pretty much what everybody's doing anyway. So it just doesn't really matter where you're doing it. Yep. Good point. So, yeah, let, let's kick it off. Paul sent me some Instagram or TikTok. I don't know. Uh, I'm honestly uh, was initially pissed that you found this and I didn't. Because, and I was like, <laughs> what's going on with am I have I not been juicing my algorithm enough to because normally I thought I was getting the best stuff out there on Instagram, at least for, in terms of like sponsored posts. And Paul found this one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't take credit for it. I mean, it was posted by another another Instagram account that finds people like this specifically, whether they're artists or not. So yeah, 
that you're going to have to dig to find something like a, a gem like this. It was so good. I decided I needed to, to figure out Zoom so that we could play this and watch it live and hear the audio. So can you see my screen? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, I can see it. Hold up. Hold up. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm laughing already. Oh, man, this is great. Hang on. I need to turn. I need to turn on my speaker. Hold up. Cranking up the volume. And away we go. Art Gallery, this is Sinister Monopoly. We're going to give you a quick sneak peek of tonight's show. You know, their gallery is kind of a little on the dark side, a little goth. So what I came <laughs> up with are these three pieces. Let's cruise and check out a few more. This one's called Pothead. So he's got, you know, he's got his pot, he's getting some head. Life couldn't be any better, right? You know, we love it. This is El Chapo brokering a coke deal with Sinister Monopoly. Got Snow White. This is like an iconic image. It's been done before, but you know, I liked it so much. This is me, right? We had some cool shirts. This one over here, it's like Sinister Monopoly pouring some shit out. Like, fuck it, I'm rich. This right here is a shirt that's called Blood Martini. Here we have your, your basic Supreme. Just fucking with like red, red. I love it, right? So over here we have Monopoly dude. He's insane. Uh, this is this is called blood sucker. Like most uh, strippers, they're gonna get you and they're gonna fucking. You know what I mean? So tonight we're here at Black Sheep Art Gallery. This is Okay. And, and for for the listeners, when he says sinister Monopoly, he's referring to a depiction of the Monopoly man, depicted in various compromising scenarios. Illicit, but it's yeah scenarios. Yeah. Illicit banned substances. You heard him. Uh, what was it? Uh, pothead. So he's smoking the Monopoly Man. Yeah. Keep this. Keep this image in your mind. He's smoking a joint and getting a blowjob at the same time. <laughs> so. What? Can he do that? Can he say that? Oh yeah, dude. Like that's his gallery. He he does whatever <laughs> he does whatever he wants. He's he's. It's a little goth. It's a little sinister. Yeah, I love that um, where he says it's goth. <laughs> Right. I think my, my favorite thing about it is that a couple times he he explains these things like they're they're self evident. Like we should know what they are. He says this is a classic image yeah. of Snow White of Snow, Snow White, White doing, doing cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> it's like kind of a cla- kind of a play on a classic image. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I didn't realize that this was uh, you know scraped. I, I thought it was a sponsored post, but I'm assuming it's still current something that is out there right now and yeah probably that's part of the funniest thing one of the funniest things is like you're putting this out there right now while galleries are closed yeah i mean i I I get he went to the trouble of filming it and everything maybe it was just bad timing if he really wanted to to be making money right now he put the monopoly man in a mask you know, and then be selling them free shipping stuff like that. That's true. And like an N91 mask. You know what I'm saying? He needs to find some way to make that make that obscene though. What can you do with the guy in a mask? A well, monopoly he could man be getting a, a head while he's wearing a mask. Yeah, that's true. Or like a Done. hole in the mask. Yeah. Well, I mean. DM him. See if you if you can. I, I'm sure he's probably open to pitches. He doesn't seem too too married to any of his particular ideas. It's just kind of like whatever comes to his mind. And if you can think of something, he's probably down. Absolutely. I oh, will be in touch. <sighs> That's a good one. It's a great one. Yep. I need to follow. So, um, Paul was just mentioning. T- to me that some of the campers don't know what this podcast is. Uh, they're a little confused on, on what we do, even though we right. say our intro and outro every time. Yeah. I mean, I guess that isn't descriptive enough. People have also pointed out to me that we ha- we emphasize camp a lot, <laughs> but we don't quite am- emphasize, we don't point out why it's magic camp in particular. Both of us have a lot of experience with summer camp, which is probably where a lot of those references come from yeah. um particularly evangelical summer camps which we, yeah. you know i th- but the magic stuff is i think a little bit maybe what what people are 
interested in hearing because, you know, we, we may have already had a few listeners who have come to our page expecting tricks and tips on different magic, you know, magic culture, magic technique. And they're going to be disappointed, quite frankly, if that's what they're they're hoping to find. Yeah. I mean, the number one reason it's called Magic Camp is because we're trying to self-sabotage with our SEO so that no one who's interested in our podcast can find us. And everyone who's interested in Magic Camp finds us and then immediately stops listening. Yeah, that's that's what we want. That's we don't want any... called marketing. The, the worst case scenario is that, A, people, uh, people who actually want to listen to the show find it. Or B, uh, that our bosses find this. <laughs> yes. Or parents. Yeah. We don't have to talk about that. Nope. Um, but yeah, we're brothers, but we don't have parents that you need to know about. Um, it's kind of a boxcar children situation. Well, Keep let going. me just ask you straight up, Paul. Do you believe in magic? Um, that kind of depends. Uh I would have to know. Uh, I think there are probably different definitions of magic. Um, I, I would say yes. I, if you're if you're talking about certain techniques or um, applied strategies to distort human perception and time space, I would say I believe in that. Mm. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That was a, you got close, close on the, yeah, close to the head of the nail there in terms of what okay. I was thinking and, and with surrealism. Um, Great. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're both, you know, huge Narnia heads. So we believe in going through a wardrobe to a mystical land where all the characters mean something. Um, but yep. I, I'm glad that you went more in that direction with it. Now, I actually, the one book that I've been reading through quarantine is a collection of stories by Jack Vance, sci-fi fantasy writer. It's almost 800 pages, so probably by far the longest book I've ever read. This is not like an epic or anything like that. It's just, like I said, a, a collection. And the, the through line on all of his stuff is very weak. You know, it's not like a grand, grand journey. Um, but... A magical world, nonetheless. And you've got, you know, all your favorites there. You have Ralto the Marvelous, um, Kugel the Clever, Eidolfons the Perceptor, Herrick, Shrew, Gilgad, Vermilion, Mew and the Mage. You know those guys, right? Have you, have you already memorized all those characters' names? Is that how deep in, into this world you are? No, no. I, I'm looking at the text. Okay. No, those guys sound... They sound like good guys. I, I, I'm interested. But funny enough, I like when I was thinking about this, I it drew to mind a passage which this is not like the kind of book you would normally quote. It's just a, a meandering imaginative fiction. But this is an interesting line from the opening of uh, which is it? Ralto the Marvelous. Here we go. The great magicians of Grand Mothalem were sufficiently supple that they perceived the lip... Oh, sorry, sorry, no. This is what I meant. I like sufficiently supple. Sufficiently supple. We'll come back to that. Okay. Magic is a practical science, or more properly, a craft, since emphasis is placed primarily upon utility rather than basic understanding. This is only a general statement, blah, blah, blah. The great magicians of old were sufficiently supple that they perceived the limits of human understanding and spent most of their efforts dealing with practical problems, searching for abstract principles only when all else failed. A spell, in essence, corresponds to a code or a set of instructions inserted into the sensorium of an entity which is able and not unwilling to alter the environment in accordance with a message conveyed by the spell. Point being is like in this world, magic is kind of a dirty practical hack. It's not a grand theory of all. It's not abstract. It, it doesn't go into theory. It's cheat codes basically on the universe, which I thought was an interesting take because yeah, all the characters in in this world, all the magicians are kind of like uh, not not evil, not good, just kind of 
getting around trying to get their nut um, and usually motivated by simple things like spite or uh, revenge, something like that. And magic helps them do it. Thought hmm. I'd mention that. That'll be the next book that I send to you. And you can Interesting. you can put on the shelf. I I need to spend a little more time reflecting on the the kind of different expressions you just named there. Maybe at another date and time where we discuss what we have in mind when we think about magic for magic camp. Um but the as a when you explain it as a sort of hack, um Essentially, you're, you're just talking about using magic as a means to an end. Uh, yes. And I would say, like, that's not the same as what you were saying. Maybe that's more right. of a dark side of it. I, I bring it up because it possibly corresponds with surrealism. Um, okay. Which let's get into now. So surrealism. Paul, heard of it? Uh, yeah, I've heard of it. Seen, seen quite a few surrealist paintings. There's a bunch in Chicago. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I can't make heads or tails of them. It's, you've got your, your, your melting clocks, you've got your, your deer skeletons, you've got your, your desert scapes. They, put, they throw me for a loop. What can I say? Yeah, it's all jumbled up. Uh, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing seems right. Up is down and pigs fly. What's going on there? <laughs> Are you no, give me Give me a... No. Okay, good. Of course not. Pouring the vino. Pour in the vino. That's that's the magic the magic elixir for magic camp. Um, you want to hear the sound of a man? Right there. Was that a sprite you... remix? <laughs> uh, it's a white claw. <laughs> no. Nice. No, I'm just kidding. Um, sorry. C- carry on. Uh, sprite remix. Wow. Um, no, you're you're right there. Uh, picture this. Uh, Paul's been taking us to Italy, Renaissance, Proto-Renaissance, good stuff. I, past couple ones, we've been more in the modern art, European, bit of American uh, side of things. So once again, we, this, well, this time we're with the French, right? So picture yourself, you're trouncing around Paris with your mistress, Mm. and you pop in on your good friend Pablo in his studio, and you say, oh, Pablo, you madman. And with all of, you know, he's working on a new work and you kiss him on the forehead. And, and then you go to, uh, what do they do? Uh, you go, do, were they into like swing and jazz? They go to a club oh. or a salon. Uh-huh. Maybe they do a bit of blow. Uh, they have a menage a trois. And in the meantime, you know, that's by night. By day, they're reading Freud. Uh, and they are mm-hmm. reading other manifestos of modern art, and they are coming up with the next new movement that will not only make waves in the art world, but is going to be revolutionary and transform society um, and break it free of its traditional mores, m- much like uh, the other modern art avant-garde movements. So that's where we are, mm. right? You got the vibe. Uh, I told Abby we were talking about surrealism and she's like, oh, glamorous. <laughs> and I was like, and then we were trying to just, dis- I, I knew what she meant, but we were trying to decide what the right word was for it. But basically the idea, which we sort of talked about before of, it's this period where art was was such a big thing. And it was a period of manifestos and celebrity artists, big thinker, r- revolutionary artists, very romantic and taking modernity by the balls. Um, and a, a lot of that went away after World War II, I guess. But uh, it's definitely coming from that golden era of modern art. Got it. So would you say this is... What what kind of time frame are we looking at here? In, Between World War One and World War Two? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. So probably... Got it, got it, got it. It really kicking up in the 20s. I, I can't remember when... Um, See if I have it here. Yeah, Dali came in more in the 30s. So Salvador Dali, probably the name most people know, and the works that people know best, was um, more of the second wave, or not even the second wave, like it was a different movement, like futurism might have been. But um, it was cresting, it was kind of dying out, and Salvador Dali came in at the end of it and kind of re-energized things. Um, hmm. And Interesting. 
Yeah, and funny enough, <laughs> like reading some of the, like uh, Andre Brenton, who was more on the literary side and also like futurism, had more of a literary, uh, like brains to the operation. A poet, Andre Brenton, who was really writing the manifestos and and then drawing painters to himself and visual artists. Um, but the like the first wave surrealists were pretty taken with Salvador Dali from what I can tell when he came on the scene because it he was crazy, uh, actually crazy. And they were like, wow, this is so cool. We got a real crazy person. Um, <laughs> and we're actually probably not going to talk too much about Salvador Dali. I would like to. I think his work, his writings are really interesting. Um, and it, it, as far as I know, like he's I think he's looked down upon a little bit um, in like contemporary art theory or art history is I don't know if it's hacky or or what um but just not taking all that seriously but I would like to maybe take a a deep dive dive on him and maybe I'll pull some quotes from him later on but um so yeah first first what I want to do Paul is explain to you how to do surrealism and then we'll talk about what surrealism is and then basically like uh, we'll just have a conversation about does it work? Is it effective? Blah, blah, blah. You know, from there it's open field. But just try and track with me here about get your head around what this is supposed to be. So first of all, how how do you do surrealism? Um, This is from the first manifesto, Andre Brenton, um, and from a section called Secrets of the Magic Surrealist Art. And from the beginning, Brenton especially, very into magic, at least rhetorically, um, and the occult, so to speak. Um, mm. And even especially later on, got really into that. He was he traveled to Haiti to meet voodoo artists. And I'll say a little more about that, but kind of interesting. So the overlap is actually very substantial and, um, you know, worth looking at as more than just like rhetorical. Um, so here's, here's the, this is how he says to do surrealist art. He's talking more about literature here, but it applies. Having settled down on some spot, most conducive, conductive to the mind's concentration upon itself, order writing material to be brought to you. Let your state of mind be passive and receptive as possible. Forget your genius talents as well as the genius and talents of others. Repeat to yourself that literature is pretty well the sorriest road that leads to everywhere. Paul, did you hear that? Getting this? Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, which part? The literature is the sorry road yeah, that leads to everywhere? Yeah, literature is dark, dog shit. And yeah, you shouldn't do it. Okay, well, <laughs> go, go on, I guess. Write quickly without any previously chosen subject, quickly enough not to dwell on and not to be tempted to read over what you've written. The first sentence will come of itself, and this is self-evidently true, but there is never a moment but some sentence aliens to our conscious thought clamors for outward expression. It is rather difficult to speak of the sentence that follows, since it doubtless comes in for a share of our conscious activity. And so the other sentence is, if it is conceded that the writing of the first sentence must have evolved even a minimum of consciousness, blah, blah, blah. What he's describing... Um, let me see if I can pick one more sentence. After the word whose origin seems suspect to you should place a letter, any letter, L, for example, always the letter L, and restore the arbitrary flux by making that letter the initial of the word to follow. So what he's talking about there is automatic writing, flow of consciousness, mm-hmm. trying to get in a state where you're writing not from a place of, of conscious judgment, but out of your subconscious, and uh, including some tricks to... to to randomize things basically. So if I end this sentence or this word with last and the last letter of last is T, then the first letter of the next word should be T. And basically using that as kind of a randomizer trick. Um, Hmm. Does that, you see what I'm saying there? Yeah, that's, that sounds like a good unconscious automatic writing technique because I've heard of, you know, I've tried it myself but never can get past a couple of sentences before the before the 
ego takes over and shuts it all down, you know, mm-hmm. or or it just looks like um, it's just nonsense. So, but the the letter thing is interesting, um, and it reminds me a little bit of. Well, I've heard various different tricks for this kind of thing, but David Bowie was well known for having his own little kind of word randomizer that he would he would just kind of like reach into a hat for random words like he had a just a huge huge pile of random words and would just grab them right. and would start ri- writing songs based off of a random com- combination of words um and they're it's a little bit different but anyway keep going totally no that's what i wanted to say and there's a lot of corollaries with visual art just in automatic drawing is pretty commonplace of like I'm just going to sketch and sketch and put lines down and then step back and see what I like. And I, I honestly do it all the time. Like, and it's to me the most fun, but also the most frustrating. Cause it's like, wow, I'm spending so much time doing this and it's not really going anywhere. It's not like I get better at anything. Um, but I was doing it quite a bit, like just today, um, of like, Sketching, sketching, drawing, no plan, no composition, just liking the lines, liking the strokes, you know, the way they feel. And then maybe the next day, come back to it and see if there's something there that is the hard part, basically, turning that into something intelligible, but something that's suggestive um, or that could be cropped out or or carried on to a more planned composition. Um, So there is a lot of merit to it and like... I I was talking to you a little bit about what I've been trying to think about composition and randomizing it is super important because just because of how much the mind wants to structure things. So if you're coming to a new composition saying, okay, we're going to have a subject and they need to be looking at this object immediately, you're going to put it in a super symmetrical layout. Everything's going to be way too ordered. And it's a problem because the world is so so chaotic and unimaginably complex that you like it's never going to reflect or it's that sort of order is never going to exist in the world so immediately whatever you're doing in that state is going to be way too hyper symmetrical and ordered and all that so it is important to like introduce randomness at, at certain points and then we'll, well i guess we'll talk about this but try and then corral that into some sort of intelligible meaning you know what i'm saying right. for so, sure and I, I, I thought it'd be nice to start with really how to do this because I think it clarifies a lot because this was really important to the surrealists. They'd get together in some uh, Paris loft, usually in groups, which is really interesting, and do these exercises together. Um, and so there's, a, there's literary examples, there's visual arts examples of trying to trying all these methods, these basically magic Uh, practices like incantations or procedures, hacks basically to get at some sort of uh, important chaos, which we'll get to, or important like primal urge. Um, And like another really indicative one is a thing called uh, exquisite corpse, which is something they would do in a group. Have you heard of this? I've heard that phrase i i think it is maybe like an episode of mad men or something yeah um keep going it's a great great name um Mm -hmm. but basically it's like the kids game where one person you have to draw a body one person draws the head and then they hand the paper to the next person they draw the arms but i don't know they're i'm forgetting the details but it's even more random than that by the end of it you come out with this grotesque monstrous co-created mm-hmm. randomly created body basically um and then that's either a final product or the genesis for something else um but that's kind of that's the procedure you know that's the incantation um and so uh honestly we can put the the how behind us i and all i want to cover well i'm curious how does how does free writing automatic writing translate into painting um is it just like the the objects and the scenes and the images that are wanting to be expressed that you eventually end up writing down and then you take that as your kind of map for your 
well, your okay. surrealist painting? The the writing I don't think would go into the painting. I think what what Brenton is talking about here is just surrealist writing, surrealist literature, sure. and so the final product of that would be like a Dadaist kind of poem. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah, sure. drawing painting has its own method, which is just in images. I think actually that would probably be important because. Um, because painting just works through images, but starting with words would kind of already be a corruption. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I was, I just wasn't sure about that. Um, mm-hmm. so there's a, the comment about literature, which I won't take personally is he's, that's, that's kind of a way of saying all attempts to structure meaning are, uh, in themselves fabrications and no more real than the the vomit of the sub, the subconscious. Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm down with that. I, I vibe with that. Yes. Um, and so, right. So that takes us down the road of really, what is this project? Like what's the ideology of it? I'll, I'll give you some of his definitions. The word surrealism having thereupon become descriptive of a generalizable undertaking, blah, blah, blah. Surrealism, pure psychic automatism by which it is intended to express verbally in writing or by other means, i.e. painting, the real process of thought. Thought's dictation in the absence of all control exercised by the reason and all outside or all aesthetic or moral preoccupations. So basically, surrealism is the practice of unadulterated expression coming from a, mm-hmm. a, a deep, primitive, subconscious, childlike, something like that um, place of expression before it's filtered by reason, aesthetics, or morals, if you, you get what I'm saying. I get it. It's, it's almost, it just sounds so hard. It sounds so difficult that I almost... And maybe we can we can come back to this. I'll come back to kind of some thoughts I've had looking at surrealist paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep keep going. Yep. No, we're getting there. So surrealism rests in the belief in our superior reality of certain forms of association neglected heretofore, meaning neglected in modern society, in the omnipotence of the dream and in the disinterested play of thought. Um. And then this is this is his most famous line from the manifesto, the first manifesto. I believe in the future transmutation of these two seemingly contradictory st- states, dream and reality, into a sort of absolute reality of surreality, so to speak. I'm looking forward to its consummation, certain that I shall never share in it, but death would matter little to me could I but taste the joy it would yield ultimately. So hmm. I guess in addition to... All right. So what, what they're saying is stripping away reason in the, and conscious and cultural performance, basically, to get to a place of creative innocence or freedom. And uh, I see the sources that they, they normally bring up as kind of being like primitive society or, or primitive, the state of primitive man, um, childlikeness or ch- you know, the innocence of childhood and dreams. And mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if I got to the part of the quote, but they were reading Freud a lot, paying really close attention to his work, and were taking very seriously, this is all historically coinciding with Freud, with the discovery of the, of the unconscious and basically what power that would unleash upon society. And, and I say that to mean not only to find a true form of art, but that in uncovering this source and in manifesting it in poetry and in paintings, that it would unleash something new upon society, which we can get to. Um, but I guess yeah, it's called the pan, it's called the Panzer tank. <laughs> yeah. Thanks buddy. <laughs> That's my, uh, my military history, cynical guy quip. I, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of the gulags, buddy. I'm thinking of dead children. Sorry. <laughs> we should send these guys to the gulag. They sound like they've uh, 
you know, been sniffing some, uh, sniffing some. Where's your? Where'd you get that from? Your dealer? <laughs> what dealer? <laughs> hey, you know where I'm thinking he got it? You know what I'm talking about? Denver. You know what they like to do? That's here. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carry on. Yeah. So, anyways, I just like to get us to the point where you understand what they're doing here. Um, they're looking for methods. And they're actually super, uh, they're not really concerned with the final form. They're ambivalent towards literature, like like he said, but they're also equally ambivalent towards painting um, and see them as a means to an end, that through these practices, basically, these occult dark practices, um, they are tapping into the unconscious, the dream, primitive state, the child, childlike state of mind. Um, and getting that out on the paper, getting it out on the canvas before it's filtered by all of our cultural norms and morality and, and all that stuff. Um, that's basically the, the, the uh, not just the how, uh, part of the why of surrealism. That's what, that's what they're really trying to do. And I would say the why of what they're doing is two parts. Number one, it's individual of trying to affect individual liberation that you're stifled by the big other and by all these cultural norms and that there's you know an imperative to do undergo this process for yourself to achieve some sort of liberation or enlightenment i don't know um but the second part of it which gets more towards the magic stuff is if if we unleash these images and words upon the world it will have an effect on culture and they're super explicit about this. And, and like all the avant-garde artists, um, saw themselves as revolutionary, you know, and of course are living in revolutionary times. They're close to um, the branches of the left that are kind of getting further apart between anarchism and communism and liberalism. But nonetheless, you know, they want to be on that side of revolution, right? And so sure. they see this program as being key to um, setting culture free and putting this into effect. All right. Okay. I, I'm, you know, similar to my thoughts on the futurists and, and to any of the different avant-garde movements that we've talked about. I'm on board. I'm, I'm, I'm with them as far as the manifesto goes mm -hmm. as, uh, what, you know, doing whatever it takes to liberate, liberate the human individual and the human mind from, those overbearing hegemonic powers and, and ways of thinking and, and viewing reality, I'm all for that. And I think this is a pretty good, pretty good method or certainly of all the different things we've talked about to me seems like one of the most, um, I don't want to say thought through per se, because it, it's a little bit like taking Freud. It feels like just taking Freud and just you know, jumping off the deep end with it. Like, oh, this guy got it. He figured it out. We're going to just do this now. Um, but it, 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 to me, it does seem like a pretty, pretty sophisticated um, artistic kind of vision compared to a lot of the stuff that came before it. Yeah. And I, I'm sympathetic to a lot as well. Um, I think Brenton as well... Uh, like I said, he was <laughs> interested in magic and the occult in probably pretty literal, serious ways in the sense that, I don't know, like we talked about with Blake, was really bucking against this rationalistic uh, culture, which you have to realize like all that, that rationalism, the enlightenment rationalism goes part and parcel with the imperialism and capitalism and all the rest. Like that is... Uh, yeah, they're all part and parcel. They all go together. Um, and you can be very sympathetic to someone, uh, um, you know, bristling against that. So I'll say more about that in a minute. But I think it's important to take that really seriously as what, whatever critique of culture that all these avant-garde artists are coming up with, like, this is the culture they're describing. You know, it's not any pristine uh, past. Like, just because this is before World War II doesn't mean that things were working at the time. Um, already, no. you know, already the world had become a meat factory um, and 
just unbelievably brutal. I mean, the, the 19th century, right? The 1800s, just the worst time ever, ever. Like the worst, I would, that would be the worst time to be transported to, to be born into. Um, and they're coming out of that just absolute hellscape because you have like all the brutal effects of uh, an imperialistic, just brutal industrial industrializing culture, but without like some of the payoffs of uh, not having to get your arm cut off if you get a little infected cut on your finger, you know, like right. think, think Civil War. It's like uh, that's what the whole sure. world was like. Um, right. And they're getting. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so that's the backdrop to all of this. And that's why I'm ultimately sympathetic with it all. There's still a lot. It just irks me so bad um, about all these young men, you know, just because of I understand <laughs> the pitfalls so much. Um, Wait, what irks you about it? I'll, I'll get into that. And so let me yeah. let me nitpick a little bit and and. You know, we'll just go at this. Um, but but th- that's the thesis. Let's just say so you, you feel like you got the thesis of, of I've surrealism. I've got the thesis for sure. And I'm, tr- yeah, I'm, I'm trying to hold on to the, the different stray thoughts I'm having, but we'll come back to those. Okay. I have a few places to take us, but as long as we can, th- this is what we're talking about. So number one, um, like the technology that, the, that they're talking about, this idea of through particularly provocative um, words or images that they basically bring to the surface all this forbidden knowledge. So like, I would say that the big theme that they're dealing with is repression, that in modern society, there are elements of our individual humanness or us as a culture, which have been shoved down and repressed into our unconscious or subconscious um, by our, you know, rationalistic worldviews. And so what they're trying to do is show you this painting, you know, show, show you this series of words in a way that will disturb you and bring up the things that you don't want to think about, right, that have pushed, been pushed below the level of consciousness. And in that way, it, it, that's the magic part of it is, <laughs> like you see something and you can't unsee it. It's like you haven't watched Westworld, I don't think. But like when the robot sees the the cowboy robot sees a picture of the modern world, like streetlights and cars, it it sticks in his brain and he can't unthink and it eventually breaks everything. And that's that's the idea of surrealism is bringing up these pictures, showing them to people in a way that fucks with your sense of reality and starts to poke holes in that rationalistic, conscious, modern worldview. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So at the, at the first level is like the individual level is, um, you know, this is supposed to be key to individual liberation, which in some ways I, I, I agree with. One counterpoint that I'd bring up, which I think is pretty provocative, um, is like one of one of Zizek's better series of points that you know he harps on a lot is basically he you know he's big into uh, psychoanalytics and all that stuff and Lacan more than Freud but mm-hmm. <laughs> one of his main ideas is that is critiquing this idea that oh okay our conscious is rational and structured and uh, pretentious basically. Our unconscious is wild. That's where freedom reigns. You know, that's where we're lions on the hunt. Um, And if we can get in touch with that and let that stuff speak, let it spill out onto the paper through automatic writing or drawing, um, then we'll find freedom. And Jesus' point is, uh, like, once you get below that level of consciousness to pre-conscious or unconscious or subconscious, it's just more ideology. It's just more performance. Mm. And so actually mm. like that deep place of unfilteredness, quote unquote, is actually ground zero for ideology. And so like mm. in, in movies or you know, whatever, when you have a straight late, like you have a straight laced character who's always measuring their words and then they come to a point where they just burst and they have a huge profanity filled outburst. Right. Mm-hmm. That's been they, there. <laughs> so Jiro. Um the 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 point of that is supposed to be, oh, like the facade 
the facade fell away and we got to see the raw person underneath. This is unfiltered. You know, this is not performance. What Zizek is saying is this is the most performative thing. When you're doing that, you're really reading from a script. Like this is all cultural signifiers and all performance. And so the, the issue is basically like you can never get away from ideology or from cultural signifying and from performance. There's, you can never drop the mask. Like everything is a mask. Everything is text. You're always reading to somebody, reading off of somebody, interpreting for an audience. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, I I was thinking that as, as you were describing the basic tenets of surrealism and I, I wouldn't necessarily have expressed it as clearly as, as you just did there or even in the exact same way. And I'm, I'm going to try to tease this out, um, in a way that actually makes sense. But so to, to be able to tap into the unconscious doesn't necessarily mean that you can articulate what you've experienced in that unconscious because mm-hmm. language itself and our conscious waking experience is always going to be our mode of interpretation and expression. Right. So isn't to go down to the well of the subconscious just to bring it back up to the surface where it's again going to be exposed to oxygen or, right. or to, or to the, the whatever, you know, toxins are in the atmosphere that, that, distort our ability to, to communicate those things. Right. And and so that's kind of what I, I I don't want to, we'll come back to that, but that, but that's different, a little different than what Zizek is saying, but I think that is an important idea, but it, it also makes it more interesting at the same time. I don't think that that negates or, or totally, uh, dismisses the, the power of a movement like this, just because we know that, Surrealism itself is is limited by our our you know as, as Freud would have it the our ego or limited by those surface level contortions that all of us are under all the time. That doesn't mean that there isn't still some some value in trying to to do that mining into the depths. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, my main frustration is it with it is like I just don't. I don't know how to make this work, which I think right. is similar to what you're saying. And like, um, if I'm drawing a lot and doing that automatic drawing stuff, I think it's really useful and interesting. But um, what comes out of that is not <laughs> is not meaningful. That's the thing. Like, they're not secret messages from my unconscious. They're just random, like, uh, or maybe not random, but like, they're not meaningful by definition. There, I I have not organize them into a structure yet. And so right. because so, our definitions of, of meaning are inherently based on our conscious experience. Yeah, exactly. So it's like for me to, to put them into something meaningful, then I can take, I can go to this page of like random lines and stuff. And I do love it. It's super interesting where you, you've gone crazy on something and then you start to see shapes in it and impart meaning to it and see a composition come together um, in a way that you would not have planned, which is very interesting and very useful. Um, but the point is, like, I've, I've kind of splattered all this randomness down on the page. Now I'm going to start to try and corral that into something meaningful. Um, and that's different than what the surrealists are doing because, you know, I they're not being this literal, but it is sort of the idea that, like, it's almost like, you know, St. John writing the gospel, like your eyes roll back in your head and the meaning comes out of your unconscious fully formed on the page. And that's definitely not the way it works. Like you, if you want to, if you want to say something, you're going to have to organize that into, right. Into meaning. And right. I guess you mm-hmm. don't have to. And that's like, that's why this goes down the road to Jackson Pollock is like, here's all this crazy stuff just coming out of coming out of, you know, just an instinctual level, and then I'm just going to leave it there. The problem is, it's not very interesting because it doesn't say anything or mean anything. It's just... <laughs> See, that is exactly what, what just came to mind, because the what you just said, the, the conversation that we're having right now, based on 
that that Zizek comment and this idea of a of a distortion of the subconscious that is inherent when it encounters the conscious level, right? So, and that's what we're kind of talking about is, is it really possible to, to actually express that stuff when you don't, you know, without relying on, uh, different signifiers and, and forms of meaning, making meaning. And that to me is what is actually before we started this episode. And I'm kind of uh, arriving at this thought that's I would say that's what I would say is actually interesting to me about the surrealists is that when you look at it, you know that it's trying to address this dream state, this subconscious, this interaction between waking life and dream life and child child mind. You can see them trying to address that, but you can also see its tension in having to represent it in an ordered uh, sort of three-dimensional plane that that naturally or, or that necessarily is limited by certain conscious realities. Mm-hmm. And so that that contrast between subconscious trying to depict the subconscious in a conscious form is maybe what makes surrealis- surrealism actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. whereas Pollock Pollock is is ignorant in the fact that he just think, okay, I can depict the subconscious. This is pure subconscious. When in reality, it's like, no, it's you throwing shit at the wall. Like, because there's no way to express the subconscious. And so you just saying that it is unadulterated humanity or unadulterated id playing itself out on, on a canvas it doesn't square with anybody's experience of their own self subconscious and, and their waking life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And I think it like, that is sort of the tension of why people don't know how to handle Salvador Dali is exactly like, this is supposed to be, you know, raw, unadulterated dream state, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's highly ordered, you know, it's realism. Um, and that's kind of the tension. It's like this actually ends up looking very literal. Um, but that probably <laughs> speaks more to his his smarts of like, yeah, I have to organize this into a way that expresses something new um, rather than leaving it at this, you know, state of bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll come back to Dolly, but... And that's why Sinister Monopoly is so amazing. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Actually, there's a lot, <laughs> some commonality there of, like, that's the idea, basically. It's, like, of a transgressive image. You know, like, once you see this, you can't unsee it. You know, it's, it's going to it's gonna fuck with your mind. It's going to, you know, mess up your sense of what, what is real and what is moral and things like that. Uh. I'll never look at the Monopoly Man again. <laughs> I can't ever come back from that. I can't. I can't look at it in the same way. And you know what? No, what I love about that is like um, how relevant the Monopoly is right now. Such a <laughs> such a prescient cultural touchstone. You know, forget the Joker. <laughs> uh, totally. Okay. So yeah, it, just it's like it's either that or or. Porky Pig, like one of those two, are, are probably the closest to the zeitgeist at the moment. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of the individual level. I want to say a little more. Like they they really did have this project of, like I said, changing society, transforming morals um, through these images, and that to me is is more at the level of quote magic, um, whereas. If it's on an individual level, it's it's almost more like spirituality. You know, it's a practice that you do for yourself and by yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Magic in more of the dark sense is something you can foist upon other people. And, um, you know, <laughs> that that's what they're kind of interested in is like the algorithms. I don't mean to reduce it, but like the algorithms to, to really shake things up. And to put in the best light as possible, the reason... Brenton was interested in voodoo and went to Haiti to investigate it and, and wrote about it is because they had undergone, uh, you know, a liberatory revolution and were the first 
black, what do you call it, you know, liberal democratic nation state. They over mm-hmm. overthrew the slaveholding class and then were, you know, took over and ran the country themselves. So an, uh, an incredibly so sweet. important, yeah, a badass important model to look at. And what, you know, his thesis was that voodoo was very important for that to happen. Huh. Um, oh, that's so cool. Because of the way it disturbed the colonial Christian uh, worldview or narratives that were foisted upon them. So it, that's it is... That's so great. Yeah, it's super interesting. I have a really good um, essay that I could pass you. It was a little too academic to bring up. Um, I mean, well, maybe, maybe we'll re- revisit it and do a deep dive on it, but... Yeah, I want to chime in there because I have, I have a thought... Um, kind of in relation to what you were just describing about magicians and their their kind of dark power that they wield over other people as opposed to as a as a individualized kind of spiritual practice and because if if we want to talk about what the effect of these movements is over the culture and over the world I have a thought and I'm going to speak uh, I'm going to share some anti-democratic thoughts here and reveal my my alt-right tendencies. Uh, I'm clipping just clip, clipping this right now. Ah, damn it! Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. But but so a magician in the 19th century or in in the the 1600s, a magician there were there were you know ten of them in in a, uh, an entire country, and these were people who. Everybody knew had some power or some ability to do things that freaked people the fuck out. <laughs> and, and they actually had, because even if they knew it wasn't real, even if they knew it was a trick, they still had this, this power because of the, the exclusivity and the uh, commitment to this particular expression. Right or this particular mode of of engaging with the world, and so surrealism, as great as I think the impulse is to ask the average person to try to understand their their subconscious or tap into their subconscious so they can liberate themselves from a from the the stru- the power structures that we're talking about and all these repressions and the things that make us you know feel like robots and feel like shit. Maybe the the broader effect of that is that it has democratized the feeling of, you know, the sort of limitless possibility of the unconscious to the extent that nobody actually gives a shit anymore. And it just makes us more susceptible to being manipulated by people who are still in power. Mm-hmm. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I keep jumping into like. What hap- you know, what happens post these movements? Mm-hmm. What happens after, you know, after abstract expressionism and surrealism? And you do get legitimate movements that are that are try- people are trying to explore their freedom, right? And you've got hippies and beatniks and all of these different things. And and what it essentially does is removes people from any form of collective power. And and you know, in many cases, takes away their their ability or their their desire to um, to participate in in any form of struggle or uh, opposition. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yes. like yes. if everybody can be a magician and and tap in every every month to their their subconscious or meditate, you know, and get a little little bit of Zen every now and then then we can all just we can all just check out together and continue continue to be happily oppressed without it, it being uh without it taxing us you know because we know we're tapped into our to our id a little bit more mm-hmm. see what i mean absolutely absolutely all right campers thanks for joining us um uh, it'll probably be a couple weeks, I think, until we get another one out. But good chance to do some more reading and, and thinking, uh, unless you have anything immediately on your mind. 
Write a review on iTunes if you've made it this far in uh, two hours into the, this episode. Um, give us a rating. We're, we're now those guys. We're going to ask you to, to do a rating and to write a review. Makes a big difference. Yeah, tell, tell people that we're an art podcast, not a magic podcast, because it's really hampering us. Uh, not, not yet, though. I mean, we, we might pivot just eventually. Kidding. But actually, yeah. I was going to say, we should, we should watch The Prestige. And then do an episode about the prestige. I think there's actually some interesting stuff to talk about there. Mm, okay. Yeah, we'll do the uh, the turn, the uh, prestige, and the other one. All the, the illusionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for joining. Good app. All right. Later, later, Paul. See you. Yeah.